This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. The next few days were blur, Corrie, but long story short, some wonderful guardian angels who know who they are stepped up to the plate. And because the situation was a bit of an emergency, the travel exemption that I had sought and been rejected was very quickly allowed. I was there to witness the birth of my first grandchild. When your daughter becomes a mother, there is a new element to your relationship with your daughter and they do really appreciate their mum in a whole new way. What else have you got on the agenda? Well, Corrie, online bridge. Thank God for online bridge. I remember going to training, a Melbourne training one day, and Crackus Keenan was on the Oval smoking a cigarette in the middle of training. (laughs) Oh, well, Brendan Edwards would never have done that. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 171 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And I'm Corrie Perkin, and I'm delighted, and I must say somewhat relieved, to welcome back, not into the studio, but into our podcast world, Caroline Wilson. Hello, Caro. Corrie, lovely to talk to you again. Well, we've spoken a couple of times, but it's lovely to be talking to the podcast. I've missed it. I feel as though I've been away forever, and it really does seem like forever since um, I left our shores. But um, yes, welcome from um, sunny quarantine. You're in quarantine in Sydney. You've just returned from your quick, unexpected dash to Amsterdam to see your daughter Rose, and we will talk about that in a moment. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be hanging off every word. But Caro, of course, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Red Energy. 100% most satisfied customers for 11 years in a row. And then, of course, later in in the show, we'll be welcoming Miles from the Prince Wine Store, again, another wonderful sponsor and supporter of our little podcast, when we crack open the cocktail cabinet, or in your case, the mini bar fridge, Caro. Well, there's no mini bar here, Corrie, and I'm told they actually monitor your use of um, alcohol. But my, my two guardian angels, my brother and sister, have been dropping off stuff, and I did manage to bring into the country a very nice bottle of Dutch gin. I'm looking forward to talking about Dutch gin with Miles. I didn't know they there make... was such a thing as Dutch gin. Oh, well, trust me. And you you would have – you know me well enough to know that I, I unearthed it pretty quickly when I got over there. And um, – Yes, I brought a lovely bottle home and I'm regulate, I'm monitoring my gin intake. I don't need anyone externally to do it, but um, I look forward to the cocktail cabinet. I look so, forward to all our regular cigs. So, well, we'll, we'll proceed, uh, Caro. I mean, it's not a show without a bit of housekeeping and a few apologies, but first of all, I did want to say a couple of thank yous. Firstly, thank you to Anna Barry, Anna from the Op Shop, who just so willingly... I think the day that you were leaving, all of a sudden, and we're all in in shock, Anna just said, whatever you want, I'm there. I'll help the podcast. She was wonderful. Uh, Thank you, Anna, so much, not just from myself and Miss Jane, but from all the listeners who enjoy your company when you come on. And also to our other guests, Craig Hutchison uh, and his partner, Claire Wright and Jake Nile. It's just been really wonderful to have everybody as part of the podcast. Tell family. you what, Corrie, that was a mighty effort getting all of that gang. I mean, Anna's one of our favourite regulars anyway, but um, getting Craig onto the podcast and um, a bit of the um, the humanising of Craig Hutchison, I gather, Well, Claire. we dug deep, Caro. We went inside their domestic lives and um, no, I really enjoyed it, actually, and I think a lot of people who see Craig perhaps somewhat one-dimensionally as you do when you are a television viewer at home and you see the host of a footy show each week and you don't know much about their backstory. I think Craig probably has uh, has endeared himself to a bigger audience. I have an apology, Caro. This is not a surprise. Uh, uh, last week I was talking about a terrific movie that I saw, Supernova, with Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. And I referred to a review by Roger Ebert, who has been over the years one of my all-time favourite film reviewers in American. And I referred to this particular review as Roger having read it. Our friend, a.k.a. pedant of the podcast, Jeff Slattery, pointed out that Roger Ebert actually died in 2013. 
So how could he possibly oh, Corey, have said that's, supernova? That's a terrible mistake. Oh, we've, well, never, we've, never, um, we've never resurrected anyone before. I not think we might have killed anyone either. I'm not sure. Well, I've resurrected him. But look, in my defence, Caro, there is a, a website which actually you would find very interesting. It's called RogerEbert.com. And after Roger died in 2013, his wife, Chaz, started up this this um, website with a handful of film reviewers who review each week. And it's I'm just aware called, of this. Yeah, RogerEbert.com. So I'm sorry, yep. Brian Telerico, the gentleman who actually reviewed Supernova in scintillating form. I apologise. You're alive, but I'm sorry, Roger is dead. Thanks, Slats, for um, <laughs> for pointing that out. I really appreciate it. Uh, lots of people were inquiring about your whereabouts, of course, Caro, so we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, from alio 44 via Instagram, she said, another great episode. Thank you, Ali. That's lovely. I was excited to hear Miles mention my favourite Pinot from Dirty Three Wines. In case potties would like to visit at Dirty Three Wines, they are lo- located in Inverloch, South Gippsland, not Balnarring, as I think Miles might have mentioned. And Ali says they're beautiful people and beautiful wine. Nicole Healy from on Facebook said, hi, ladies, just recalling you talking about boots for ladies with wide calves. This is one for you, Caro. Oh, well, the, la- the last recommendation we had, which was just before I went away, was a wonderful recommendation, but I went to the website and they'd gone out of business, which oh. was very disappointing. Well, Nicole is so, here. Um, Nicole's tip is Sandler. So, you know, Sandler shoes, S-A-N-D-L-E-R, they've been around forever. They are advertising a range in their store now. So Nicole's suggestion is jump on their website, Caro, and then Keach39 on uh on Instagram, I thought I was a royal nutter, Caro. I think Keach39 is right up there with me. Having listened to the week's pod while reading Corrie's recommended <laughs> Elizabeth and Margaret, that's the new biography of uh, the Queen and her sister by Andrew Morton, um, Keach39 says, I think Princess Anne's hat is the same one she wore to Di's funeral. Mm. Oh, this is when this is when Anna and I were talking about um, Prince Philip's funeral, and we talked a bit about her hat. Anna wasn't such a fan of the hat. Keach thirty nine continues. In fact, it could be the same outfit, which would not surprise anyone. <laughs> she goes on. She goes on to say that the real story between group, between Group Captain Peter Townsend and Margaret turns out Margaret was allowed to marry him without giving up much at all, but she had fallen out of love and her religious beliefs created issues. A much different story to the one the Crown would have you believe, says Keach39. Inside info, Keach39, maybe you could become palace insider for the podcast. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. Even in The Crown, it made it clear that there was far more going on than just... Um you know, and what Margaret did have to give up, she didn't want to give up anyway. No, she anyway, Corrie, we digress. We do. So on to your journey. Now, what we all, I know the story here, but we want you to tell it. What happened a month ago that there we were thinking about our next week's podcast and all of a sudden you were calling me saying, I'm flying to Amsterdam tomorrow night? It was um, a fairly tumultuous few days. It was actually, God, it was over a month ago now. It was... Um, I remember it was a Wednesday night because I was just about to walk into the studio to film um, Footy Classified and I got a call from Rose and, um, look, there were some complications with the pregnancy. At that stage, she was 36 weeks pregnant. The date was April 7, in fact, etched in my memory. Look, uh, th- that was a Wednesday night. I remember sitting down, um, going on air and looking over at Matthew Lloyd and saying, can you just help me out tonight if I'm suddenly unable to speak? Can you just um, step in? Or if I look like I need a bit of help. It was very fortunate that Eddie that night was doing, which actually was a pretty good, um, a very good um, summation of what he thought should happen with footy in Tasmania. And um, I just remember going through the motions, driving home. And I don't, the next know, how, few I don't days know how were, you got through it, Cara. I really don't. Yeah, well, the, the next few, few days were a blur, Corrie, but Long story short, some wonderful guardian angels who know who they are stepped up to the plate and because the situation was um, a bit of an emergency, um, the travel exemption that I had sought and been rejected was very quickly allowed and um, I flew out of the country late on Sunday that week and um, got to Amsterdam on Monday and Rose, um, Rose and Oscar were um, going to the, – well, the baby was due um, probably, oh, I guess, a, a few days ago, on May the 4th, about a week ago, and um, they were induced because um, the ba- little, uh, little grandchild had to come out, and um, that took about a week, and um, 
I was there to witness the birth of my first grandchild, the beautiful little Sunday Julia, who we all thought was going to be a boy. And it was funny when she came out, we were all so busy looking at her and admiring her and seeing how perfect she was that nobody thought to look at what she was. And it was only <laughs> at one, a few, about a minute after she was born that Rose said to Oscar, oh, it's a boy, right? And um, Oscar said, oh, look, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> and then we all had a look and she was a girl and, um, yeah, one of the more extraordinary experiences of my life to finally see my daughter pregnant because, of course, I hadn't seen her pregnant to help her through what was a, you know, fairly tough week and be there for the birth of this beautiful little girl who um, I had to leave a few days ago. In fact, I left her on Mother's Day. I left them all on Mother's Day and that was very tough. Um, but, um, yes, it was an emotional roller coaster, Corrie, or as my um, soon-to-be son-in-law, Oscar, called it, um, a bit of a wild ride. But they were... They're two extraordinary young people and they coped with everything that came their way and continue to do so with so much bravery and good grace and positivity and everything's turned out, you know, so much better than we expected and or feared. And so, look, it was just a, um extraordinary experience and one that I would not swap for anything in the world. I feel very privileged to have been there and seen how they dealt with it and seen the birth of my beautiful little granddaughter. Caro, uh, I'm sure there are listeners who have experienced this, a what I would call a mercy dash, a situation where you have to get to the other side of the world and and you don't know what the situation is going to be over there with loved ones or, in fact, it might be that a loved one is dying or uh, there's been an accident or some trauma and that's what that's the situation that you were in, not knowing what you were going to arrive into. I kept thinking that Sunday night when you sent me a text saying the airport is a very, the Melbourne airport is a very lonely place. I just kept thinking, oh God, if you think that's lonely, wait till you have the 24-hour flight. How did you, how did you cope? Because usually when we get on a plane, it's a happy time. Order the glass of champs. You're on holiday. You're going off to oh, Europe still, or America. Oh, I still did or that. Don't worry, I still had the champagne. <laughs> how did how did you get through it all alone? No, it. Um, look, it was. Um, it was, it was, look, there were so many factors, mitigating factors. Um, when you go away at very, very short notice, you know, there's all the things that you deal with, particularly if you've got a job. And, you know, I, I just cannot say how wonderful the Nine Network, 3AW, obviously the age, you know, all the key people involved there from Chloe Salto to Craig Moore to um, Matt Conway and Chris Thompson at Channel 9 and obviously Craig Hutchison and Eddie Maguire. Everyone was, go, don't worry, you know, don't take as long as you need. It was just, um, that made it a lot easier. Then then you're in an airport, which is virtually empty, on a plane, which is virtually empty because so few people are flying. Um, I, that must um, be really get, weird. I didn't get the opportunity to have a COVID test because another lovely guardian angel friend set that up for me on the uh, – sorry, a um, vaccination. A friend set it up for me on the Saturday, one day before I left, but then they told me they didn't recommend it um, and you shouldn't fly for a week after because of some of the risks with, you know, blood clots, et cetera. I don't know whether that's true or not. So, um, yeah, look, it was a fairly – I've got to say it wasn't the most enjoyable flight over. I, I felt like um, – I suppose I was in shock and it was all a bit of a blur. But um, I arrived in Amsterdam on a beautiful, cold but sunny spring afternoon, went straight to the home of one of Rose's best friends who luckily lives in Amsterdam, a very old school friend, Sarah. And um, she just helped me with my luggage, put me in that lot of stairs in Amsterdam, Corrie, a <laughs> lot of very high I gather it's a bit like stairs. It's a bit like Paris, Caro, the, the time that uh, of the architecture, particularly in the old city, Oh, they're, they're all just narrow buildings that are six stories high and no lift. They're they're absolutely beautiful, and you know where I stayed for those first few nights was on just this lovely canal. But um, anyway, good exercise. He was wonderful. Just packed me off in an Uber round to Rose and Oscars, and we went for a very long walk through Vondel Park, which is next to where they live. And oh, it was so wonderful to see her again, to see Oscar again, um, and you know it, it was. There were so many, as I said, the mitigating factors, but the kindness that was shown to me in Melbourne was also shown in Amsterdam. Um, their landlady came downstairs who 
they knew reasonably well, but who's become a great friend. And she said, well, I'm going to Spain in two days. So you move into my place for a week. And wow. I've got a, and I've got a friend who wants you to go and stay there on the other side of the park. And here are the keys to her bike. And, you know, it, it, it was just amazing. It was just amazing. And Rose, despite the everything she was carrying at that time, um, had done this amazing Google map sort of, Corrie, the perfect version of good local tips in Amsterdam, which was in lockdown, of course, but you could go and get a coffee and you could go and buy, you know, there were nice bakeries open, but you had to one by one go into all these places. No restaurants open, no shops open. You had to make an appointment to go into them. Um, every single one of those wonderful galleries all closed. But, of course, that was all secondary at the time. And then... Um, Yes, and then, of course, the birth of beautiful Sunday, lots of trips to the hospital. They're Can still, I just say she's an, ab- she's an absolute knockout, Caro. She's beautiful. She has hair. She's just um, the relief. Yeah, she you know, is lovely. And obviously she needed to, um, you know, the, the complication was she, and she needed to have surgery pretty soon after she was born. So, um, you know, it, it's um, living your life as, a new, as new parents and um, for me as a new grandmother trying to help out of hospital, really. It was... Um, Look, it was as I said, it was a. It's not the ideal way to have a child, but it. They were so brilliant through it all and have continued to be so. I'm so proud of them, and I'm so um, well, obviously looking forward to seeing them again. They've been living. Well, Rose is living with Sunday in the children's ward. They've also got a place at Ronald McDonald House, which obviously operates in the Netherlands as well, and that's adjoined to the hospital. And they've been wonderful and. They're now able to take Sunday out in the pram for walks and Oscar's father has now arrived on the scene. I handed over the baton to him. He's having another grandchild, believe it or not, over in Stockholm in a few weeks. Their, um, Oscar's sister is also pregnant. So two grandchildren within the space of about six to eight weeks, pretty exciting. And um, Johan's gone over for three months, so, of course, it was easier for him to get over, which well, was something I wasn't able to do work-wise. Caro, I, I had email contact with Rosie after Sunday's birth and congratulated her and Oscar, and we had a bit of a chat via email, and she said that you had been absolutely wonderful. What a rock. And that she didn't really know that she could have gone through it without you being there. And I just, you know, thank goodness things all stacked up because, as we know, there are lots of families in Australia going through similar things where they just, all their ducks and drakes just can't line up in a row and they perhaps can't get over when they want to or need to. Um, I'm so relieved that you were able to be there for for Rosie. Look, it was was a... As I said, it was um, there was some tough moments, but the ultimate um, headline is that it was just such an incredible experience. And um, yeah, a lot of cooking, Corrie, a lot of reading. Well, I want to talk to you of, about um, life in Amsterdam. Did you end up once once all of the um, the urgency and the emergency was it had calmed down a bit? Did you get into a bit of a routine? I think to live in a foreign city for four or five weeks must be. Uh, so much fun in a in a weird sort of way to 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 really experience like a local what how the city works how it operates what its beat is yeah no it was I, I was very um, proud I, I arrived at Rose's digs one day and said that the local coffee guy I didn't even have to go in he already had my you, you order a flat white over there Corrie oh. which is like a a three quarter latte I'd be in heaven about this. <laughs> Costs about the same in euros, actually, as it does in dollars, but it was absolutely the best coffee. And um, he actually made it for – I said, oh, you didn't – I didn't need to order. He said, oh, I saw you coming. So I thought, now oh, I feel like a local. Dal, you're in. Um, <laughs> beautiful square nearby, which had all the most, you know, the fabulous – the upmarket supermarket, the regular supermarket, um, fabulous butcher, found a great kitchen shop. I mean, the local area was fantastic. And where I stayed when I moved over to the other side of Vondel Park, um, which was a slightly ritzier area, um, I found a love. The one thing that they had just reopened were hairdressers and, um, you know, nail salons, etc. So I did find somewhere to go and get a blow wave every week, which was my little psychological lift. And I made a lovely friend there with gorgeous um, little Dutch girl who who we embraced on my last day. Um, it's, you know, and, and everybody rides their bikes there and there are very few cars. I mean, obviously I was catching Ubers 
to the hospital, but because um, I didn't want to get – often I was taking food and stuff. But, um, no, it, it was just beautiful. And every day you'd walk through Vondel Park, which is about, you know, the, the circumference is about the same as the tan, and um, you'd walk to the other side to get to Roses or you'd get on the bike, which took about five or six minutes. I got to know all the local streets. Um, I – Got yeah, some days I'd go farther afield. I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever walked so much in my entire life, and it's all flat, so it's very easy. And dare it's, I it say, it is a very dare, easy city, Amsterdam. And it's, you were um, sending me pictures a, of um, of little shops that had Corrie written on them, Caro. I know. Well, I, I thought you'd be impressed, but you you claim it's like um, Smith in well, Amsterdam. Well, no, it's no, it's a it's a Christian name in in Holland. Yeah, sorry. It's, um, of course, that's my Dutch background. Uh, <laughs> Um, it, it, but look, it was amazing. Corrie's everywhere. It was, it's as common. Sorry, no offence, Miss Jane, but it's as, it's as common as Jane or Anne or Caroline. You know, it's a very common name. Well, I, I tried to say to the man behind, there was a it's great coffee shop Rose put me onto called Dignita, which um, I think is run by a sort of collective of prostitutes or ex-prostitutes. Anyway, they made fabulous coffee. And there was this big sign, Corrie, on the front. I said, oh, I have a friend, and he just looked at me as he had no idea what I was talking about. Anyway, that was pretty funny. But, look, it is – there are fascinating um, people, the Dutch, and particularly those in Amsterdam, a lot of COVID, but I don't think it was as bad in Amsterdam as in other parts of the country. So although it was funny going back to wearing masks everywhere again, not so much outside, but certainly inside, whenever in supermarkets, you couldn't take a trolley without it being fully sanitised and, you know, gloves and everything like that. So back to a real, we've got no idea. I mean, they were locked down. The terraces, the restaurants opened again about 10 days before I left. And that was the first time, I think, in um, oh six months that you could actually sit down and have a meal. And even then you had to sit outside and only between midday and 6pm. So there was a lot of rebellious behaviour in all the beautiful parks and gardens which surround and weave through this city. Um, it was spring, so tulips everywhere, cherry blossoms everywhere, rhododendrons. I mean, even though you couldn't go into all these wonderful galleries like the Stedelijk and the Rijksmuseum and the Van Gogh Museum, etc., just looking at the flowers, you know, and the jonquils and the daffodils, just walking through all the wonderful gardens, it was Absolutely beautiful. And with people coming out of lockdown, it must have been a joy in the air, a spring in everyone's step. Yes, although still a great amount of worry because, you know, even in the country, I think four or 5,000, maybe 6,000 one day, or I was there, cases a day. So they're far from out of the woods. And, you know, people plan holidays around Europe, but suddenly they have to change where they're going because that particular country says, no, you've got to be isolated for three days when you get there. And it's a very, very different situation than the one we're facing here. And um, people complaining about the slowness of the vaccine, obviously, which we have here. Um, in, in, the, in all the Uber rides I did, obviously, you know, you've, you're separated with the driver by glass and you have to wear a mask, obviously, all the time in hospital, um, Everyone's in masks and you have to be incredibly careful. It was, look, it was it was very, very different, as I said, to what we're going through here. And But, but you're heading into summer and we're heading into winter. So that was um, the interesting sort of turnaround. And even though it was spring, gee, it gets cold in the mornings and cold in the evenings. And I did experience a few days of that relentless Amsterdam rain, although luckily not too much. Caro, now you're in lockdown in beautiful Sydney and you have a couple of weeks up there and I think we'll, we'll actually be touching base with you. The idea is quarantine with Caro, a new segment. <laughs> and so we got, I think the idea, I think, I think Craig and Miss Jane hatched this idea thinking, oh, she'll be so bored with nothing to do. Of course she'll want to chat to us each day. So you might be talking to me or Jane or Hutchie. I don't know who's going to get on the end of the line, but we want to hear how your day will be unfolding each day. Gosh, fascinating listening for the... <laughs> The potties. I tell you, I'm flat out so far. This is the start of my second full day. I've had two nights, and you know there are so many tips. But Rose's um, friend Sarah and Mill, her two guardian angels over in Amsterdam, who've done it, both said you have to get into a routine. Yeah, don't not have a routine. No, that, that um, seems so to be the tip from everybody that, who who does it. They do little exercise programs, and they have they're very very strict well, with the routine. N- Ned's or, son Ned's already taken me through my first um, workout class. 
which I, I moved the coffee table to the side window and I'm working out on the big rug here. I want you to find, honestly, she'll change your life and it's Yoga with Adrian, A-D-R-I-E-N-E. She's based in, I think it's Fort Worth, Texas, uh, or maybe she's Houston. I think she's Fort Worth. Anyway, she saved the life of our friend Mindy when Mindy was in quarantine last year at the start of lockdown. And um, during our two lockdowns, she kept me company because, of course, Maggie at our studio where you and I go, of course, that wasn't open. So each morning I would put on Adrian. But the really good thing about yoga with Adrian is you can actually put into Google if you've got, let's say, neck and shoulders, let's say you've woken up and you're feeling stiff, you just pop that in and she will give you a 15 or a 20 or a half an hour routine, 15 minute routine on that particular part of your body. Or you might just do a, a sort of a 10 day program and follow each day she's doing different parts of the body. It's She's wonderful and she's really engaging and she's not too ubbity boobity about it. She has a sense of humour and her dog Benji, oh, okay. her dog Benji is in absolutely every frame. Oh, well, all right. Well, well, that's good. Well, I've got Ned every day as well. I'm going to give him one day off a week. There well, are do other do Adrian at night. Do Adrian at night time, Carol, maybe, because she also has a lovely yin class and stretch. So you would you would like her. Yeah. What else have you got on the agenda? Well, Corrie, online bridge. Thank God for online bridge. I've got my first game lined up tomorrow once I finish my first column back for the age. So my friend Mary will be um, has been a wonderful friend, obviously, and um, we played a bit of online bridge during um, lockdown last year. So we booked a couple of sessions a week. The footy's back, obviously. I'll be able to watch the footy in real time. Um, I've got so many, you know, lovely friends to catch up with who I haven't spoken to for over a month. So um, one or two nice phone calls a day, which I'm looking forward to. A couple of Zoom drinks. Um, my sister has dropped off oh my, the most beautiful, you know, all-night facial things and leave-in conditioners and even a hot water bottle. She's been very thoughtful. And I've discovered – I finally sat down and watched TV um, for the first time in a while last night and I've discovered a great new SBS On Demand one. You've probably seen it too, Atlantic Crossing. Haven't seen it. Um, Good tip. Oh, it's a, story, it's a story of the Scandinavian, the – um, Norwegian royal family um, at the start of um, World War Two. Oh, great! Love and it. It, in, it involves Carl McLaughlin plays President Roosevelt. The British royal family are involved. Oh, Corrie, it is fantastic. Okay, Atlantic Crossing. Atlantic so, Crossing. So, yeah. Potties, if you are interested in what Cara is up to each day, and particularly uh, as she works her way through the popular culture diet of <laughs> the twenty and twenty first well, century, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> they say another key to. Um, a key to being locked down is work. I mean, if you do have work to do, it's a bit of a gift. Yes. And obviously I've got um, lots of um, FaceTiming of um, my little Dutch family who I'm missing very much as well. I bet you are. Well, lots of love. As to well as my Australian Yes, I was going to say, what about them? <laughs> yeah, and did, and did you hear there was another new female addition to the family while I was away? I did not. Oh, yes, I did. Um, Queenie. Yeah, we've got a new um, – we lost Billy about a year ago and um, Co- Brendan has sold single-handedly with Clementine, taken on Queenie. And um, I was going to ring Bren a couple um, of weeks ago and offer to have Queenie for a couple of days because I was working from home and I thought, well, Brendan probably has to actually go physically to the office. What happens to Queenie? And then I thought, no, I can't do a puppy, not yet. I mean, I'm still in. I'm still in. Not because I'm not fit enough or up for it. I'm puppy fit, but I'm still sad about Bezzy, and I'm really sad that you have a puppy before. I do. Well, I'm hoping that you're going to get one before long. I'm desperate to meet little Queenie. She's a cute little black lab. Oh, that's great, Carol. from Queenscliff, and um, so I'm very much looking forward to meeting her. I'm sort of hoping she'll be toilet trained by the time I get home, but. I'm not holding out too much hope. <laughs> now, Caro, we have the cocktail cabinet with Miles Thompson. We welcome you, Miles Thompson, from Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store, of course, are our supporters of this segment and our podcast. Visit princewinestore.com.au for all your alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverage needs. Miles, lovely to see you. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. Very you're, good. You're not in lockdown. You're here in the studio. But Miss Caro is in lockdown and she has just informed us that she doesn't have a bar fridge. <gasps> Caro, that was going to be Miles's entree in today's discussion, your mini bar. 
I don't think quarantine, that they do deliver lots of milk to my room. Every day they've sent me up a litre of milk. I don't know how much milk they expect mm. me to drink. White Russians. But Miles, um, <laughs> the, one of the first, I, I went to um, I, I went to this wonderful wine shop where I was living in Amsterdam and was so happy that they sold the William Fev Chablis, oh, which nice. um, we know that you sell as well. So um, when I left, I gave two bottles to this wonderful um, woman, Yvonne, who had put me up in her basement apartment for the last two and a half weeks I was there. And, um, yes, I did think of you and I thought of Prince Wine Store and the cocktail cabinet. Oh, thank you. But what have you got for us today? Well, we were going to do um, classic cocktails sort of coming out of the, the bar fridge. So we're going to sort of work with that still. We, we don't, actually, don't worry, she still she has her guardian angel, so <laughs> brother and sister are dropping off grog every day so they can easily fit something into the box. Yeah. <laughs> well, not every day, Corrie. I've actually got my – I've got some <laughs> lovely gin here, Miles, but I don't know what your cocktails involve. Yeah, well, look, I, I, th- I thought we'd sort of go with the classic, so martini, martini, um, Ma- Manhattan or, or uh, uh, Manhattan and um, Negroni, of course, because it's so popular. But I th- what I thought of is, is the, the sort of key ingredients in all of those is, is vermouth. And uh, it's probably, probably good to talk about vermouth because it's really blowing up as a, as a segment or as a category in Australia at the moment. It's become super, super popular. And all those sort of classic cocktails have vermouth as one of their major elements. So, God, I tell you what, you stay on this earth long enough and it all comes around, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I reckon a, a, I pronounce it vermouth, so that's probably... Not quite quite the right way, but oh, probably... a vermouthen dry was, I think, probably the first drink I ever ordered underage. Of course, in those days, at the um, at the Bowie Pub, I reckon a vermouthen oh, dry. Oh, you sophisticated little miss, you, Corrie. That, <laughs> well, what did you um, order? When, what did you order when you were sixteen or seventeen? It was the seventies, so vermouthen dry was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I said you were sophisticated. Well, now, and now vermouth has become. Um, a drink, you know, you order very smart designer vermouth on or vermouths on ice, don't you? When you go to those smart Melbourne restaurants, you know, usually run by people like Andrew McConnell. But um, and there's plenty of it in Amsterdam too. I can tell you, it's yeah. become a very popular drink. So, what's actually in a Manhattan? Can you take us through that? So, first? Manhattan is is rye or bourbon, but I think generally people tend to go for rye. I don't want to upset any cocktail people because I think there's. Uh, <laughs> A few different very staunch camps on how to do it, but it's usually rye or bourbon and um, and a red vermouth. So and and for for that, I, I've sort of there's a there's a um, a couple of uh, guys here in Melbourne called Gospel, and they make fantastic rye, and they sort of use uh, the Maidini classic vermouth, which in Maidini is a Gilles Lapalou, who's a winemaker. Um, French French winemaker that's lived here in Victoria for a long time, and he has a fantastic collection of vermouth under the Medini brand, and the classic is uh, one of the sort of red red vermouth, so red wine based, uh, a little bit fortified, so some alcohol added, and then lots of different bittering agents and botanicals and things like that. So really, sort of they call it like an aromatized wine. So. Has all those, so yeah, really one, and he makes a full range, but wonderful stuff. But the classic is a really sort of fantastic cocktail vermouth. But again, you could easily drink it by itself. It's really well that that'll keep you going through lockdown, Caro. Through uh, sorry, through oh. quarantine. There's um, a lot of ingredients, but I reckon I'm up to the task, Cory. <laughs> um, and what about and then obviously the martini, gin. And vermouth? Yeah, so for, for that I would use the Dolan vermouth and they're a French vermouth, um, one of the few sort of independent uh, vermouths in, in, um, in, in France and they're from a, a region called Chambray which actually makes quite a lot of really great vermouth and they're very, very delicate sort of style vermouth, so perfect for martinis with just a little wash of those and they're, they're really fantastic. Same thing though, they're so good you could drink them on their own, bit of ice you know, wedge of lemon or something like that. They're a more delicate sort of style. So I think for, uh, and they're a white vermouth. So for for a martini, that's kind of what you want. And what was that? What was that brand from Chambray that you said? Dolan. D O L I N. Okay. Yeah, and they've we been can, around we... here for a while. They've been in Australia for a while. They've been imported by a, a French importer, but they're really fantastic. And can we um, acquire the Medini and the Dolan from Prince Wine Store? A- absolutely. So I, I had think a the feeling Dolan's you'd say that. Thirty three, and I think the um, Medini's fifty five for those. And 
And what do you recommend to put in your Negroni, Miles? Yeah, for ne- for Negroni, um, I have the. It's called the Del Professore Rosso Vermouth. So this is a collaboration between Antica Distilleria Quaglia. I had to write this down because uh, <laughs> I always forget it. And the Jerry Thomas Bar in Rome, which is this famous cocktail bar in Rome, and they actually make a full range of different vermouths and gins and things like that. But this. Vermouth was introduced to me. It's a red vermouth, so and uh, perfect for Negroni. Really punchy, spicy vermouth, and it's absolutely fantastic. And I love this by itself. That's actually how I had it the first time, but it's the perfect Negroni vermouth as well. It's really wonderful. Sounds so, great. do you just drink it on ice on, on its own? Yeah, I think just yeah. ice and a, and a wedge of orange, probably for the sort of red vermouth, and, and maybe a slice of lemon for, for the white vermouth if you're going to have them on ice. Hey, Caro, tell Miles about the Dutch gin. Mm. It sounds incredibly, incredibly exotic. Oh, no, look, I discovered this, um, well, um, on King's Day, actually, which is their big national holiday, which was still locked down, but everyone busted out and it was pretty incredible, although I'm told not as much as normal. And there's a um, near the Nine Streets area, there's this lovely little um, wine well, a wine and spirit store, which is sells absinthe. And there's a lovely man who takes you through the history of everything and see, sells, sells antique glasses. And, oh, Corrie, you would love this shop. Anyway, um, I bought a bottle of Dutch gin from him, a classic Dutch gin, but he was taking me through these traditional Dutch gins that you actually drink they're made in a, uh, I think, northern Netherlands, in the north of the Netherlands, and you don't drink them with tonic. You, they're, they're more of a, a spirit, and you have it mm. just in a very small, um, more small glass, like an like an aperitif for even um, post meal digestive. And they are, they're a little bit sweeter, but still, oh, they they're just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, the one I bought home, I'm just. Getting down on my hands, and I've set up. I've set up a little cocktail cabinet, Corrie, with books and a fruit bowl, and and, I, and, just, knowing, um, and knowing you, you've probably got you've probably lined up the gin bottles for aesthetic purposes because they make nice homewares. Well, there's only yeah, well, there's only one, but it's called founded by friends V2C Dutch Dry Classic Gin, mm. um, and the ingredients are juniper, coriander, angelica, cardamom, orange, lemon, licorice, laurel, and ginger. It, it is a really oh, nice. really lovely drop, V2C Dutch Dry Classic. But um, the gin cabinets um, in all of the wine shops and other shops in Amsterdam are full of so many smart designer gins. It was um, it was fascinating. They they certainly they people say they they're not really foodies in the Netherlands, but the ones who are, there's a lot of people who just live on bread and cheese, but the ones who are, they are very you know, the new artisan bakeries and wine shops. There are a lot of wine and coffee shops together. You know, you go in and get wine coffee and beautiful bread, which I really yeah. loved. Anyway, um, can recommend Dutch gin. Um, um, what's, I'm wondering what sort of gin you put in your Negroni, Miles. Mm. I like something that's a bit bit punchy just because it's got to go against all those 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 sort of flavours. Um, I, I quite like um, uh, Patient Wolf is, is sort of my go-to gin at the moment, which is a, a local Melbourne gin as well. I really like that kind of a bit more savory sort of in style. I, I really like that gin. It's probably one of my favourites at the moment. It's a bit of a bit of a go-to, um, but yeah, really fantastic. But that the Dutch are the originators of gin. I think Geneva is what they sort of used to call it. So that's oh that's, really yeah. yeah. Oh, that, sorry, that's what I, I, I understand. Buried the, I buried the lead there. That's what I was meant <clears> to say. <throat> that's, that's what this man <laughs> told me. It's really, and he also reckons yeah. absinthe. Absinthe isn't meant to make you crazy, and the original absinthe that he sells is nothing like the one with the green, you know, yeah. dreams, etc. So, um, well, on the Dutch spice trade, so for me. you know, that, that's interesting. Part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, uh, an economy built on gin, yeah, back in the day. Well, Prince, Prince, thanks to Prince Winestall, Corey, I think I'll have to be um, restocking my cocktail cabinet. Well, Carol, yeah. and Carol, you can do that Several with a special vermouth. with a special offer. And Miles is about to tell us about the podcast special offer. So, ten percent off for the listeners. 
um, when you put in the code M-E-S-S, as in don't suit the messenger. As in that's what you'll be after four glasses of verm- vermouth and dry. <laughs> and yeah, we have a, all, all of those and a, and a whole lot more. That All the category gin and vermouth is huge, so lots of lots of options. Fantastic. We love our connection with Prince Wine Store. And I can I tell you that the parcel that I you home delivered here to the studio last week, we're making our way through it. And that Pinot in, I can't remember what it's called now, it's gone out of my head, something dirt or something. 33. Yeah, mm, terrific. Fantastic. Really, really terrific uh, as a kind of a midweek if you just want a glass of wine that's not going to sort of knock you, knock Great you wines. over. Keep an eye on them. I mean, they're fantastic now, but they're just going to get better and better. We love Prince Wine Store, and thank you, Miles, for coming in. PrinceWineStore.com.au. Thank you. Don't forget, Potties, just type in that promo code M-E-S-S at the checkout online, and you will receive the lovely discount. Carol, we're going to shelve our crush of the week and our grumpy of the week for today because we've had so much to chat uh, with you about. But we will look at BSF, Book Screen Food, because I think you've been doing an awful lot of indulging of all of those three categories. Tell me about the best book, if you could say the best book that you've been reading over the past month. Have you been doing a lot of reading? Have you, or have you been a bit distracted emotionally? No, well, reading has been a great, because, you know, there are a lot of... um, lot of evenings on or nights on my own and um which was you know absolutely fine but um and I quite enjoyed it or I suppose early nights like I'd leave you know visiting and then I'd go home and just sort of read I I suppose I didn't watch an enormous amount of tv at all but the the book that kept me going on a rather sad flight home was um Theatre for Dreamers by Polly Sampson and um how many people have written about that lot that lived on Idra in that summer of 1960. Um, it's just people just endlessly fascinated by George Johnson and Charmaine, Charmaine Clift and obviously Leonard Cohen of the famous three and Marianne Ilhan and, you know, her f- first husband, Axel. This is a novel form of that summer and it's told through the eyes of a young English girl who suffers a family tragedy and goes over there. Um, Polly Sampson is married to one one of the Pink Pink Floyd members. She's a wonderful author, and he got I, I think he got this idea. Well, a friend suggested it to her, and she'd always he was really fascinated by the stories of George Johnson and Charmaine Clift, who, of course, there was so much tragedy emanated from what happened that summer. But um, as um, some, one of the reviewers wrote on the back, um, if summer was a novel, this would be it. It's about lost It has love. the most beautiful cover, doesn't it, too? It's oh, gorgeous. It's about decadence. It, um, there was a wonderful shop in Amsterdam called the American Bookstore or the American Book Centre, and um, I went there early doors and bought about five or six books, and um, I gave this one to Rose, and he managed amazingly, amazingly, given, you know, being a new mother, breastfeeding, etc to finish it on the day I left. So um, I read it all the way home. But, look, it, it's, it's very, very sad. It reminded me a bit of Mr Wilder and me, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's been a huge hit for us. It came out, uh, it was one of those books that came out during the Melbourne lockdown last year. And like a lot of those books, they weren't seen by people. And we had to kind of promote it, as did other bookstores, and tell people this is a terrific novel. It is now in its second format, less expensive format of 1999. So if anybody would like a copy of Theatre for Dreamers, if you come into the bookshop, not online and not on the phone, but if you come into my bookshop, at 513 Malvern Road, Hawksburn. Instead of at 1999, we're going to knock 20% off for podcast listeners because it is a lovely novel and we'd love you all to have a read as Caro has. That is a great choice. It's also a really good book for holiday too. I know you weren't particularly on a holiday, but it is a good holiday read. Um, on to screen, can I just tell you before you tell me about your favourite novel, uh, your favourite screen of your time away, on Saturday night, I was home alone because I was in the middle of the Mother's Day trading and everybody else was away. And I turned on Poms. Have you seen Poms? No, but it's on my list for um, the next um, – I've got a bit on the next few, few weeks, but that is on my list. Well, Diane, 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 Keaton, Keaton? Di- Diane Keaton plays Martha, who is a New Yorker who has reached retirement age, but she's also being, being diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she decides to sell up everything and head down south to Georgia, which is 
it kind of I can't quite believe that she's doing this and goes and checks herself into a retirement village. Acquires a lovely new home and new friends, including Jackie Weaver, who plays her neighbour Cheryl. Um, but they end up the old the older ladies end up forming a cheerleading squad. It's the, the script is weak, but the women's performance is I, I, it was so moving. Uh, and I, you know, of course, I didn't, I couldn't really. I, mean, I couldn't you know, sit there, there and so not cry. Now about old women who get to, you know, there's English films, you know, middle-aged older women who start dancing or they become this. They it's become so predictable. It's so predictable, Caro, in, in the setup. <laughs> oh. there's, and each of the women who come, come with a bit of baggage. There's the one who whose husband treats her like rubbish. There's the one who is a widow and her children are menacingly circling her estate and saying our mother's too old to do this because they basically want her to die so they can take over the inheritance. It has all of that predictable stuff about it, but nonetheless there is something about Diane Keaton and Jackie Weaver on screen together that makes your heart sing. So it was quite oh, good. good. So, so just in lockdown when you've got nothing, in quarantine when you have nothing else to do, that would be my suggestion. But what about you? What have you seen? Oh, well, I've got a few picks, but um, one that is about to come out, I think, in Australia, I'll, I'll tell that one. It wasn't my favourite, but it's interesting in that it's the first film I've actually seen about lockdown. Um, and um, it's called Locked Down, <laughs> funnily enough. It's a London film and it stars Anne Hathaway, um, who is a sort of high-powered um, corporate type who um, works at Harrods. Um, she is. He was about to break up with her partner. I think it's pronounced um, Kiwatel Ejiofor. Um, his name is Paxton, and he is not working, and he's having a lot of problems at the moment. They were about to break up. Lockdown happened in London, and so they're living together in their pad, and um, they're not living together very happily. A lot of the film is done as we are doing now. You know, there's a lot of Zoom conversations. A couple of really funny cameo perform, brilliant cameo performances by Ben Kingsley is one, and Ben Stiller is another. Um, it turns unfortunately into a heist movie. They um, they sort of they plan they basically plan to st- steal a famous diamond, which um, you work that out pretty early in the film um, from Harrods and. That when that sort of happens, some of the things that happen during the heist don't really ring true, I have to say. However, it was filmed during lockdown and it was filmed in Harrods during lockdown and it's a very sort of London film. The conversations, the two main performances by Edgy of Four and Hathaway are really, really good, although the script lets them down and some of them, they can be a little bit annoying. But it, you almost relate to the whole lockdown Situation. I mean, it's very real. Isn't it it like we're just living what we've just lived? Isn't that rather dull and boring? Well, no, because, um, well, obviously it stars two sort of glamorous film stars and um, Harrods and there are a lot of scenes, you know, around London. Well, look, it's an interesting film. I wouldn't say avoid it at all costs and I wouldn't urge you to watch it, but, uh, you know, it's an above-average film. It's just that it sort of gets a bit, um, jumps the shark a bit at the end. Anyway, that's locked down. And I think it's opening, uh, opening in Melbourne probably around this week. Okay, that's locked down. And what about food? Did you do much cooking again? I suppose that's the interesting experience of living in a, a foreign city for just over a month. You actually do have to do some cooking. You can't afford to eat out every night. And I imagine being the good well, mother. Well, Corrie, good there were no restaurants. That, of course. Oh, my gosh, of course. But <laughs> I keep forgetting that that that, that uh, the lockdown, they're still in the thick of it. But I imagine you were doing a lot of cooking for your loved ones too. Yeah, I actually haven't done so much cooking in a long, well, probably since I was <laughs> we were locked down. But um, and, and even more because that was, you know, you – you look for things to do when people need help and, you know, sometimes it's things like food are just a wonderful, wonderful gift. So, um, look, I, I did a lot of cooking, but um, one of the, my favourite days was um, a day when um, a couple of the Guardian Angels came around and we watched the Melbourne-Richmond game, not so enjoyable for me, and I made what was a typical um, 
you know, lunch that my mother would have made at the footy, so I did my chicken sandwiches, which I've talked about often. But I made mum's tomato soup, Corrie, and even though we're heading into winter, there are so many beautiful tomatoes around in Melbourne still at the moment, I'm sure. And in Amsterdam, they are incredible and a dime a dozen. Even the cheapest supermarkets sell these huge tubs of cherry tomatoes, massive but really large ones. Anyway, my mum's tomato soup, which you basically cook up onion, garlic and one red pepper, that gives it the colour, and just stir it around um, in a bit of butter and a bit of olive oil. And then you um, just chop up heaps and heaps and heaps of tomatoes, a bit of sugar and a little bit of white wine and homemade – well, I used homemade chicken stock from my chicken sandwiches, of course. And um, But you, you cook the tomatoes separately and um, once you cook them right down, you don't bother – you just push them through a sieve or through a strainer into the rest of the soup and then just vitamise it all. Um, Rose's um, little kitchen had this wonderful $10 vitamizer that just, oh boy, did I turn out some things with that. But anyway, the tomato soup was absolute, I've got to say, absolutely delicious. I even made white asparagus soup one day. You'll be impressed to hear. I'm very impressed. And you have to strain asparagus soup. Well, no, you don't actually. Well, you actually have to. Um, well, you're supposed um, to if you, do it the pro- the- if you do it the proper way. Oh, well, I just... Did a, I, I bought this white asparagus from the one of the local markets and because it was everywhere in Amsterdam. And I, I forgot you've got to actually peel it with a, like a potato peeler. Um, but it, that was really yummy as well. But, yeah, no, this tomato soup was a, a big crowd favourite. And, um, you know, a lot of um, – Clem was a wonder, of course. He sent over some wonderful recipes. And um, her tempered dal, which we talked about on the podcast last year, was a big favourite, both um, – at home and also was an outdoor picnic a few nights after, which um, at the hospital after Sunday was born. Well, we're giving you another little chore because we need to fill your day while you're in quarantine. Could you please write down the tomato soup recipe and send it to Miss Jane so she can put it on the show notes? And, I will, Miss Jane. And we are hugely thankful to Red Energy the sponsors of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Red Energy, you guys have been with us since the very start of the first lockdown. We love your company and we really love your product. I can say that for a fact because now the shop and my home are all on Red Energy. Call Red Energy 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy and the Melbourne-based team will help you out and tell them that Caro and Corey sent you. I'm not quite sure what that will get you. Caro, but maybe they'll go, oh, great, well done. Yeah, we love the podcast. I don't know. You could have a chat. Um, on to six quick questions, Caro. And Yes, Corrie, I'm going to kick off. What was your Mother's Day highlight? My Mother's Day highlight, well, the, catching up with the family, of course, on Sunday. I didn't work on Sunday, and that was a truly that was truly lovely, as you can imagine. And particularly, I think a lot of mothers would agree with this because last year we couldn't catch up on Mother's Day, so it was extra special. We had a lovely day at Geelong at Coco and Charlie's new house, so that was fun. But I did want to say the highlight was watching the dads and their kids coming into the bookshop on Friday and Saturday and choosing books and cards for their mum. So much thought goes into the choosing of the gift if you're seven or eight or nine years of age. And particularly, I wanted to send a shout out to the, well, probably to the mum who received a book on unicorns because her four or five-year-old daughter was really determined, even though the dad said, look, what about this novel or what about this one? She was insistent that mummy would love the book on unicorns. So whoever the mum is out there, I hope you enjoyed the book on unicorns. Maybe that's something you can read together. Um, Caro, what was your Mother's Day highlight? Oh, well, definitely um, seeing Rose um, holding her little baby and seeing my daughter be a mother for her first Mother's Day and taking walking outside with them both and, of course, Sunday's dad and Sunday's grandpa, um, walking around um, just the gardens out near, near where they're living at the moment and taking her for a walk in the pram and saying goodbye to her for the last for the for the last time in a little while but um yeah that was um um something that happens very suddenly suddenly your baby is a mother and um yeah it was quite a wonderful experience well experience personal personal experience and also the experience of people i know that when your daughter becomes a mother there is a new element to your relationship with your daughter 
and they do really appreciate their mum in a whole new way, but you do become closer through the grandparenting, parenting thing. So um, you've got lots to look forward to in that adventure. Now, despite what you just said, Corrie, I gather I'm going to ask you, what was your Mother's Day low life? Oh, Caro, I really botched it. So uh, there I was. Do, I thought I'll just do the dishes before all the guests arrive because Coco and Charlie and I had been cooking in their kitchen. And Coco had... Uh, Actually, it's a recipe, I think, from Ottolenghi's Simple, Carol. You may have done this, roast potatoes that you cook in duck fat. So what yes. you do is you reduce... Well, Clem's it. done it. Yeah, you cook the duck fat with garlic, rosemary and thyme in the oven for about 40 minutes on a low heat and before you pour it over the potatoes. So, of course, in my enthusiasm to clean up the kitchen, I took this pan and threw the ingredients down the sink and started watching it. And, Car- and Coco turned around and said to me, where was that duck fat and that I just uh, – um, so that was down the no. sink. Um, she you took, poured it down the sink. Yeah. So she took it very well and oh. Charlie whipped into action and came up with a very suitable and delicious alternative. But, yeah, that was my stuff up. Caro, finish this sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this is rather sad. I didn't realise Brendan Edwards had died on the weekend. I missed that one. Finish this sentence. Brendan Edwards, who died last weekend, was a trailblazer because – dot, dot, dot. Well, Corrie, he was one of the first – I think he was probably the first footballer to um, suggest circuit training at training. So, as you know, he played for your beloved Hawthorne, um, was a best and fairest winner. But I think he only played five or six seasons because he was felled by injury and, of course, he went off and started that series of fitness centres that were so famous during the 60s and 70s. And probably the 80s. And he married the gorgeous Jenny Ham. Do you remember that? Yes, of course. Famous Melbourne socialite. But he, um, yeah, he basically went to the coach one day and said, I think we should start circuit training. And that was, I I gather, the first time footballers actually did that form of, you know, the, or, well, you know, what what became part (laughs) of. I can can just see them all just just putting their cigarettes out underneath their footy boots going, oh, yeah, okay, we'll give it a go. I, know. I remember going to training, a Melbourne training one day, and Crackers Keenan was on the Oval um, smoking a cigarette in the middle of training. <laughs> oh, God. Well, Brendan Edwards would never have done that. Do you remember? Uh, the, Brendan Edwards was a sort of local celebrity. Oh, he was, he? and very good looking back in the day as well. That's very sad. Yes. Well, Vale Brendan yes, Edwards. Uh, we- Sold his Gold Coast home, I think, at Main Beach, where um, your mum Peg used to live a couple of years ago due to ill health and died on the weekend. Now, Corrie, which program would you least choose to watch? Oh, well, this is, a, this is an easy one. A, the Brownlow medal count, B, the Oscars, C, the Fred federal budget, or D, an episode of Big Brother? Well, I thought long and hard about this, Caro, as you can imagine, but watching the federal budget the other night, which I gather you did as well because you just arrived in... <laughs> I turned on the TV and there wasn't really much else to watch. Well, my, I was, so I'm all over the federal budget. I was kind of intrigued because I just kept wanting to see women in the back stalls at uh, in uh, on the Labor Party side of the house, and there were very few women, which is quite telling. I would say, Cara, you know, I love the Brownlow Medal count and I adore the Oscars, and I, I would say federal budget and Big Brother are probably vying for top spot. In that oh, one, it's an insult, and Car- an insult to the budget. <laughs> Big Brother's a dreadful show. <laughs> Caro, name me three unusual day-to-day Dutch facts. Well, you know, you get to know a city when you're there for a while, and these might sound a bit menial, Corrie, but did you know that their eggs are sold in boxes of ten, not twelve? Oh, st- you don't buy. Oh, stop the press. Don't buy. A d- well, it's just interesting. You don't buy a dozen eggs, you buy 10. Why? There's no there's well, you just don't. There's no rubbish collection, like no there's no rubbish truck that comes by your house. You have to take your rubbish to a local bin area, which is, you know, always walking distance, and then you walk the other well, in my case where I was staying, you walk another way to the local recycle area. And um in recent months, they've um, excluded plastics from the recycle area. So there's a cardboard section and a bottle section, a glass section. And you you basically, when it all starts mounting up in your kitchen, you go for a long walk or, you know, a five-minute walk and drop it all off and stand in a queue while people, you know, fold up all their cardboard and put them into a receptacle. It's quite extraordinary. So that's the second Sorry, one. Sorry, I'll just wake and up now. Yeah. 
And, well, this will wake you up. When you get your temperature taken in the Netherlands, they stick the thermometer um, up your bum. Oh! <laughs> You're right. That'll wake me up. Are you serious? I, I'm t- that's not from personal experience, but that's how they do it. They reckon it's the I'm most glad. Accurate. I'm glad you said that first bit. <laughs> well, obviously, being around hospitals, I picked up a few things. Isn't that oh, hopefully, not, hopefully, that... hopefully not a thermometer that was just sitting there doing nothing. I found, oh. that, I found that absolutely extraordinary. I could go on about their predilection for um, bread and cheese, but um, no, I must say I, I really like the Dutch. They're a bit like us. They sort of um, there's a bit of a couldn't give a stuff element about them. Which I really, really there like. Used, there used and, to be a um, saying, never trust the Dutch, but I think that was to do with occupation, German occupation during Second World War. <laughs> I haven't heard that. But um, I know there's... Oh, well, they wouldn't say it about themselves. They wouldn't say it about themselves. Well, a lot said about the Boers in the past as well. But um, no, I'll come up with a few more Dutch facts for you over the Oh, next please few weeks, do. Colin. Please do. We'll be so entertained. And, Cara, we've just loved having you back home. Uh, in all seriousness, though, jokes aside... You've been through a tough time. You have really risen to the challenge, according to, well, at least to Rose and Oscar, but all of your family and friends who have been monitoring you for the past four or five weeks, we're all, uh, we've all been with you on the journey and we're wishing everyone well and you have a very beautiful little granddaughter. So congratulations. Welcome to the Granny's Club, doll. Thank you, Corrie. And, yes, no, well, it was Rose and Oscar who have been the champions. But um, And thank you for being a champion and holding the fort in my absence. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been well, wonderful. Well, it's, it has, as I said earlier, it has been a total team effort. But um, we, we're glad that you're back. So next week again you will be uh, with us via the laptop machine and then hopefully after that we will see you in person. Everybody, Caro will be recording a daily Quarantine with Caro episode. And, of course, we haven't talked footy today, but we will be recording our usual footy tips. And Caro will have a bit to say about the season, which uh, she's missed a month of. But I gather, Caro, you've been cheering from Amsterdam, those tigers of yours on the journey. No, well, there hasn't been a lot to cheer about. Oh, it's been well, it's been win lose, win lose, win lose. So it's been quite a weird sort of um, season for the Tigers. I look forward to that, Corrie. I do too. Thanks to Red Energy, of course, and to Prince Wine Store. And you can connect with us at the podcast via all the usual ways: Instagram, Facebook, da da da. You know the drill. And Caro, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. For all things home design, enjoy Homestar with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.